Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. In the first and second century, there was a tradition in, in certain cultic uh, kind of mystery religions in the first and second century. And when an individual entered into that religion or that belief system that they were going into, what they did was a certain ceremony where there would be a group of people around and that individual would place a piece of attire on that was old and that was worthless, that had no value, something that they wouldn't even maybe want to be seen wearing. So this is a shaw. It's about 200 years old. And, and, and they, they, they would put something on and, and they would stand in kind of like a position where I'm in, in front of a large number of people. And what they would do is there would be two individuals with them. And the first one would take the garment that they were wearing that was old, that was worthless, that was useless. They would take it off and they would put it away. They would throw it away. And they would walk across to someone waiting for them on the other side. And they would put on a new garment that symbolized that they had fundamentally changed. That they had become someone new. They had become an individual that was no longer the old person, but they had transitioned into something new. Now, the imagery there was, was not at all a Christian religion. It was not at all a, a Jewish religion. It was cultic. However, I believe that the imagery that was used there is something that we can gain a lot from today. In fact, Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, uses the exact same terminology when, when he talks about the change that undergoes a believer, he uses the exact same terminology that those religions would have used in the ceremony of casting off an old garment and putting on a new garment. When he says that you are to put off the old man and put on the new man. The terminology there is, is exactly the same. And so I think that we can learn a lot as we examine this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Paul ultimately is going to make a call for change. He's going to make a call for change, and he's going to make a call to see that change visibly in the lives of believers. So the title for this message this morning is Change Ahead. Because I believe that all of us could say that there is an area in which we need to change. That there is an area in which we need to adjust. There is an area in which we need to put off the old and take on the new. There's two points that I want to look at today in this passage of of Ephesians chapter 4. The first point is that the change is significant enough to be identified. The change is significant enough to be identified. Paul's command is change. Uh, If you read it in verse 17, Paul states, I say, this I say therefore and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Paul makes an interesting claim here and he's coming to a conclusion. He stated a list of things and he says, this I say therefore as a conclusion to what he's already said, this is kind of a climax in a point that he's making. So he's coming to a conclusion as he says, this I say therefore, he's coming to an important point. He says that you walk no longer as the Gentiles. He doesn't say that you don't walk as the Gentiles. He's not just making a general statement. The implication here is that they were walking like the Gentiles were. That they were walking in a certain way. And he says, this I say therefore, walk no longer as the Gentiles. Do not continue walking as the Gentiles walk. 
Now, when he speaks of how the Gentiles walk, he's, he's speaking of a lifestyle that was uh, tended to be the lifestyle of the Gentile. And, and, and Jesus Christ brought the gospel to the Gentile, and the Gentile could be saved. But the, the, the tendency of the Gentile lifestyle was a lifestyle of sin. And Paul makes a command to walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. So first, Paul's command is a command of change. Do not walk as the Gentiles walk. Second, the change is significant. Paul's command is change, and this change is significant. He says, do not walk. So, so this raises the question, what exactly is your walk? What is it that Paul is referring to? When we look at this terminology, walk, it's really an interesting word. Uh, Paul chooses a word with, with a lot of color as you look at what this really means. When, when Paul speaks of your walk, what he's speaking of is how you conduct your life. It's how you live. It's how you go about doing everything that you do. It encompasses every aspect of your life, and everything that you do contributes to what your walk is. I think an, interest, an interesting way of putting it that really uses the term walk well is it's how you get to where you're going. Your walk is how you get to where you're going. So, so in your life, your walk tells you how you're getting what your desires are. It tells you how you're getting to the direction that your life is aimed at. So that raises another question. Where are you walking? Where am I walking? What, what direction am I pointed in? Because Paul makes a claim that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. That term walk is incredibly, incredibly significant because it encompasses every single aspect of my life. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I think that that, that terminology here can be, can be very directly applied as we are deciding where am I walking? Where am I heading? What direction am I going? It's where I fix my eyes. Hebrews chapter 12 commands us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. As Paul makes a call here for them to no longer walk as the Gentiles walk, the implication is that they rather walk in a different direction, fixing their eyes on Jesus. So where are you walking? The second question then is how is your walk? How is your walk? Are you walking with Christ daily? Are you making an effort to follow after Christ? Are you living for him? As Paul makes this call to change, the change is incredibly significant. The change is life-altering. The change is everything included in how you live your life. Paul says, no longer walk as the Gentiles. So the change is significant. And then the second thing that we see is that the significance is identifiable, which brings a conclusion to this point. Paul's command is change. This change is significant, and the significance is identifiable. It's interesting because Paul doesn't just, he, he, he gives a qualification when he makes this command. He says, do not walk as the Gentiles walk. It's interesting because he doesn't really say, don't walk in sin. He doesn't say, don't walk in error. He gives a very specific, identifiable point for them. He says, don't walk as the Gentiles walk. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk. It would be, it would be like, like me pointing to a people group and saying, don't walk as that people group walks. Don't walk as those type of people walk. The point that is made here is that when he's making this command 
the command is directly pointed at a certain type of person, the Gentile. And that type of person is clearly identifiable. When he speaks of a Gentile, the people know who he's referring to. And so, so he makes the claim, do not walk as the Gentiles. Do not live as they live. Make sure that your walk is significantly different from them. Paul goes on to explain who those Gentiles are. He goes on to explain who those Gentiles are. I'm actually a little bit behind in my, in my presentation. I'm going to catch up so you guys can, can follow that. He gives a qualification, and then, then he goes on to explain who the Gentiles are. As we read on in this passage, into verse 18, starting at the end of verse 17, actually, he says, Do not walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. So this is Paul. He stated, do not walk as the Gentiles. Do not walk as the Gentiles walk. And then he goes on to explain how exactly the Gentiles walk, which is very helpful for us. He says that the, that the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. That they walk in the futility of mind. A, a better way to understand that, that, that may be more understandable for us, is that the, the Gentiles walked in an emptiness of mind. You get the image, and he expounds on this in a second, that they weren't really, almost that they weren't even thinking that they were darkened in their mind, that they were lacking understanding, that they were walking in a way that wasn't characterized by wisdom or even by knowledge, that they were walking in a way that was incorrect in the emptiness of their mind, being darkened in their understanding. And then he draws a conclusion to, to that when he says that they are excluded from the kingdom of God. The result of their walk is that they are excluded from the kingdom of God. So what does that mean? That means as we're trying to apply this, what Paul is saying is do not walk as an unbeliever. For us today, that's how we fill in that blank. When when they said, do not walk as the Gentiles, for us, do not walk as the unbeliever walks. Do not live as the unbeliever lives. So the question is raised, how is my walk? What do I walk like? Do I walk like a Christian? Do I walk like an unbeliever? He gives a list of sins when he says, continuing in verse 18, the hardness of their heart into 19, and they have become calloused and given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. This is what that lifestyle leads to, to sensuality, to greediness. It leads to a lifestyle that that looks like someone who isn't saved, like the unbeliever. Paul makes the call, do not walk like the unbeliever walks. So we've seen the qualification, we've seen the Gentiles, the explanation of the Gentiles, and then Paul gives the difference. When he says in verse 20, but you did not learn Christ in this way. That's the difference. He said, you you guys do not walk as the Gentiles who live in this way. You didn't learn Christ in that way. You've learned Christ completely differently. And that's the difference. That's why I expect you to not walk as the Gentiles. Because when you learned Christ, you did not learn him the way that they have learned Christ. Because their hearts have been darkened. Their minds, uh, it, it, it just isn't working. So, how am I walking? Am I walking as an unbeliever? The difference is, to that church, they did not learn Christ the same way that the Gentiles had. They learned Christ differently. 
And in the same way, we have learned Christ in a completely different way than an unbeliever. Some of the unbelievers haven't learned Christ at all. Some have learned some of Christ, but they don't have a full knowledge of him. Some have a very full knowledge of him, but they haven't come to a saving knowledge of him. We have learned Christ differently as believers. And because we have learned Christ differently, there is an expectation that we do not walk as the unbeliever walks. That I walk differently. The change is significant enough to be identified. So ultimately, the question becomes, am I noticeably a Christ follower? Am I noticeably a Christ follower? Is there an identifiable difference between me and the unbeliever? Because according to this passage, what we're going to see is if there's not, that's a problem. Now luckily, Paul doesn't stop here. Paul is going to give us three clear ways on how I make sure that I'm not walking as the unbeliever walks. Because the command is clear. So how do we do it? Paul explains it in the next point. We started with the, the, the change is significant enough to be identified. Our second point is that the change is systematic enough to be implemented. The change is systematic enough to be implemented. Paul gives a very clear outline here. It's very, very simple. Not necessarily easy to implement, but he gives a very simple, clear outline on how I ensure that I am not walking as the unbeliever walks. The first statement, the first command that he gives is to put off. There's three things that we're going to look at here. The first one is put off. Paul says, starting in verse 21, He says, you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is corrupted in accordance with lusts of deceit. He says that you lay aside the old self, which is corrupted in accordance with lusts and deceit. First thing that we see here, the first command, the first step to ensuring that I do not walk as the unbeliever walks is I put off. I put off. Now, what does that mean? What is that terminology? The actual terminology, and I referred to this in my introduction, is that it's really terminology that refers to removing an item of clothing. It refers to taking it and casting it away, to putting it off, taking something in your life and and no longer having it there, casting it aside. I I did a little experiment this week. I I went to, to my little brother's football game his spring game a little while ago. And one of the things I noticed is that like half the guys on his football team who are from freshmen to, to seniors in high school have these like full beards going on. And I've never tried to do that. I've never, never tried to grow facial hair. So I wanted to try a little experiment this week. So, so, I, so I just did one of the deals where I didn't shave like right here all week long. And I wanted to see if I got any comments. I wanted to see if anyone noticed. Just wanted to see if I was even capable of doing it because I've never tried it. And after seven days, seven days, not one person noticed. Not, not one person. I, and, and the, what I learned was I'm completely incapable. I shaved this morning just because at this point it was getting embarrassing because I had like 12 hairs sticking out of my chin. <laughs> and so this morning I came to the point where I realized I'm incapable of doing this and so I cast it aside. I threw it off because it wasn't working for me. It, there, are, there are freshmen in high school who are more capable of growing facial hair than I am. And so the application then was that I had to cast it aside. I had to put it off. I had to get rid of it. The terminology there is exactly the same as what, what Paul is using here when he says, 
If you guys see me, I'm constantly going to be doing this all day because it's been a habit. It's been a habit all week long trying to get that thing out. <laughs> you, uh, you, you put off the old self. You cast it away. You cast it aside. Now, Paul describes how exactly that happens and why it happens because he refers to the old self as that which is corrupted. He says that the old self is corrupted. Really, maybe a better way to understand this corruption is with the word destroyed. It's, it's something that is no longer useful in any way. Much like the garment that was cast aside, it is worthless, it's useless, it's not good for anything. It's corrupted. There's nothing good that can come of it. It's your old self. It's corrupted. And then the second thing that, that Paul says is that it comes from the lust of deceit. In verse 22, he says that you lay aside the old self, which is corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Now, if we switch this terminology around a little bit, it, it's like the desires of lies. The lust of deceit. The, the desires of lies. The desires for that which isn't real. Uh, a, a lust for untruthfulness. Ultimately, the old self is based in that which isn't true. Which is interesting. This old self, it, it's based in a lie. It's based in, in, an, in an untruthfulness in which I can be saved and still live in this lifestyle of my old self. Paul says, you cast away this old self, which is, which is corrupted in the lust of deceit. It's based in an untruthfulness. When we break it down, even in the logic of this, of this viewpoint of living this lifestyle, it shouldn't make sense because I have become new. Now, Paul is writing this letter to believers. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing this to believers who have been saved. And he says, you must renew your life. You must put away that old man. So it's not that this isn't applicable to us. It's that it is possible. We all know it is possible to be a Christian and yet be struggling in your walk with Christ. It's possible. We've all dealt with that. And so Paul's command, his first step, is to put off the old self, which is corrupted with the lust of deceit. The next command that Paul gives is to renew. Put off and then renew. I would like to contend today that this is actually the focal point of this passage. We hear all the time about put off, put on. I, I've heard a bunch of sermons about putting off the old self, putting on the new self. We, we talk about you need to stop doing the bad, you need to start doing the good. And yet we miss this middle step that's actually probably the most essential step in the whole process. And that is to renew your mind. See, Paul makes an outward statement when he says put off. In other words, stop doing these things. Stop living as the unbeliever. Put them aside. And in a minute, he's going to make a call to put on something else. To, to put on these attributes of living like a believer. But in the middle, there's this command to renew. To change. To take your mind and your heart and your soul and your desires. And those have to change so that you can put on the life of a believer. So that you don't go back to walking in the old self. Paul commands a renewal. We see this in verse 23. He says, put off the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 
A proper understanding of being renewed, just, just a quick definition, is, is to become young again. I thought that, that was an interesting definition. To, to come to a point in your mind where you become like a child again. Be renewed. I think that maybe another way that, that I would explain this is, is to make your mind, your heart, your desires, and your soul righteous before God and untainted by the world. You notice all the terminology here. It isn't what I do with my hands or my feet or my tongue, but it's your mind, your heart, your soul, your desires. Those are what have to change if your hands and your feet are going to live a life that's going to glorify God. The renewal process is essential. It must take place. And I think that we ignore it far too often. I mean, even as we look at at how we deal with children, all the time we say, don't do this. Don't do that. Instead, do this. Stop doing that. Start doing this. Put off and put on. But we miss the renewal process. So where is that renewal process manifested? Well, well, Paul says that we are to be renewed. How is this done? How do we do it? How, how do I make myself renewed? First thing that I want to look at is, is repentance. There needs to be a, reten- a repentance process when you are deciding to become renewed. You must repent of your old self and turn towards your new self. It's in the middle for a reason. You're, you're addressing both. You are repenting of this and you are turning to that. Repentance must take place. Second, prayer. I think that as we are, as we are learning on how do I change the inside of me, how do I change my heart, we need to be at one with the Father. I need to be in a communicative relationship with the Father. I need to be coming to the Father with my burdens, coming to the Father with my struggles, coming to Him with my needs. It must take place. And then third, the Word. We must be spending time in the Word of God because it's the Word of God that is going to bring lasting change. It's not me deciding to stop doing that and start doing this. It's not me putting off that and putting on this. It's me deciding to to be committed to my God. It's me deciding to change what is inside of me. Not just my outward actions, but what's in here. We must be renewed. It must take place. The third command that Paul gives, he said, put off, renew, and then put on the new self. Put on the new self. First of all, there's a pattern here. Paul says, put on the new self in verse 24, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. The pattern is is that we are made in the likeness of God. This new self is, is like God. And, and I think that that's interesting because so often we, we hear this, that, that we need to be striving to be like God. We need to, we need to be in, in an attempt constantly to become more like Christ. How often, excuse me, how often do we embrace being like God? Just a side note of encouragement. Scripture says that one day we will see him and we will be like him. It's coming. The day is coming when we will be like him. But right now, we are to strive to reach that point. Paul says to put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God. That's the pattern. 
And then Paul continues in his next point. Paul continues with the qualities. Paul describes in verse 24, he says, righteousness and holiness. We are created in the, in, in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness. These are to describe us. We are to act in accordance with what is right. We are to act in a holy manner. Those are the qualities. And I'm going to jump right ahead to the source. Paul says in the end of verse 24, of the truth. Of the truth. So verse 24 as a whole, put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. The truth, other translations really, really show how this is the source of this holiness, of this righteousness. It's interesting because when we looked at putting off, we equated the old self with deceit. The old self was based in a lack of truth, but the new self that you put on comes from the truth. And scripture says that thy word is truth. That word is truth. I am to put off the old self. I am to renew myself. And I am to put on the new self. Am I identifiably acting like a believer? When those outside of this church look at me, do they see someone who lives like a believer? The command from Paul is that they must. It must be identifiable. And it can be implemented. Put off the old self. Renew yourself. And put on the new self. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word this morning. Lord, I pray that we would embrace the truths that are in this passage, Lord. That we would indeed put off the old self. That we would renew and that we would put on the new self, Lord. Lord, give us a desire to be like you. We know that one day it will happen. We know that one day when you come to receive us, we will be made like you. But Lord, give us the passion and the the desire to be like you. Strive to be like you today. Lord, we are incapable of doing this on our own. We need your help. Lord, I pray that we would not live as the unbeliever, but live a life that is identifiably different. Lord, we thank you for everything that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.